we, we don't have our son with us. We left him in L.A. with my mom. And so we're like, we, we feel like we have so much energy. We're like, we could do everything, man. Like, no child. Like, no. Like, we felt like we left behind something, like baggage or whatever. But, but it's been really, really good. We've just been able to, um, we've just been able to relax. And my wife slept great last night. She, uh, she's never slept this well in a long time. She normally wakes up to, like, a whisper that our child kind of has uh, through the monitor. But uh, she, like her alarm went off this morning and she didn't even wake up she was like stone cold so i know she's getting a lot of good rest so praise god for all of that uh we're going to be looking at matthew chapter 5 verses 10 to 12 we're just picking up on where uh, you guys have all been already which is in the beatitudes and we're finishing up with the last one uh which is blessed are are those who are persecuted and um this morning i want to start off with a question before we dive in and that's this Uh, what do you consider blessed like what do you consider to be blessed you know, I, I wanted to know, so I took to some research, and I went immediately to Instagram, where all research can be done, and I typed in hashtag blessed, and the first image that I found was of this girl and this, like, mosaic of pictures of just her and her friends, um, friend after friend after friend after friend, and at the bottom it said hashtag blessed. And so I thought, well, you know, for a lot of us, I think we would say that, right? A lot of friendships, a lot of community, a lot of love, that's a blessed life. Uh, the second image I saw was one of a brand new car, and it said at the bottom, hashtag blessed. And I think a lot of us would con- like agree, like, yeah, that is a blessed life to have a brand new car. Uh, the third image was of a man, and he was like, he had his back kind of turned, and he was like shredded. His shirt was off. He was, had tattoos everywhere, and underneath it said, hashtag blessed. I guess having lots and lots of muscles and being able to uh, show that off is somewhat of a blessed life. Um, it means that I'm not blessed at all. Um, LAUGHTER I, I saw images of shelves and shelves of alcohol. I saw images of food after food after food. I saw images of people on planes off to exotic destinations. And I think a lot of us would agree, like, this is a blessed life. To have lots of things, to add things to our lives is what blessed means. And it's interesting because what we're going to be studying today is completely counter to our culture. Right? Jesus is going to say something very, very radical here. He's saying, look, it's not blessed to add uh, lots and lots of things to your life, but rather a blessed life looks like somebody who has things removed from him, somebody who is suffering. And it's really, really interesting because Jesus says that this is the blessed life. And so if I had to put it this way, if Jesus had an Instagram page, he would have a picture of somebody with a cross on their back walking up to Calvary. That's his idea of what a blessed life is. And so with that... I said we have three points for today. Uh, The first point, if you're taking notes, is what is the meaning of the beatitude? What is the meaning of the beatitude? The second point is why is the beatitude a blessing? Why is the beatitude a blessing? And the third point is how do we obtain this beatitude? How do we get it? Okay, so uh, those are the three points. Let me go ahead and read this passage for us. Uh, We'll pray, and I believe you guys all rise when you read the scripture, so let's go ahead and rise um, out of reverence for God's word. We believe it is holy, it is righteous, and it's good for our lives, and it tells us everything we need to know about Christ, and so we honor it. So let me go ahead and read this for us. I'll pray, and then we'll jump into this. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me pray for us. God, we just want to thank you today for this scripture. And God, we pray most ultimately, God, that these words would not just be heard with their ears, but God, that these words would be internalized in their hearts. 
that God, they would be moved to action, that they would be moved to love, God, that they would be moved uh, to be in deeper intimacy with you. So Holy Spirit, we need your help. God, my words are not enough. My intellect is not enough, God. It is your spirit and your power alone that can change each and every life here. So God, we pray that for each and every person here. We pray this on your sons. Holy and precious name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, so our first point, what is the meaning of the beatitude? And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It means suffering because of who Jesus is and what he commands us to do. It means suffering because of who Jesus is and what he commands us to do. So if you look at this beatitude, it's the most interesting of them all because Jesus actually tells us two things about this beatitude. All the other beatitudes, if you look at them, it's just blessed are the poor in spirit, da-da-da-da-da. Blessed are the meek, da-da-da. He just goes through it once, but this time he goes through it twice. Right in verse 10, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 11, he goes again and says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's actually telling us that there's two types of persecution. Where these are kind of uh, synonymous, kind of related, but in some sense there are two types. And the first type is when you try to do the things that Jesus has commanded you to do, uh, but in, in light of doing the right thing, you're actually persecuted because of it. Let me give you a really, really quick example. Um, my mom... Uh, for the first time uh, in, in, in my life, called me up and says, hey, like, you know, I acknowledge you as a pastor and I want you to give me some advice. And I was like, wow, like she finally acknowledges that, you know, I can do this thing. And so she was like, you know, I want your advice. She said, you know, uh, 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 my, my, your dad and I just got this humongous account. They're, they're in the catering business in Hawaii. And so in the catering world, like a million dollar account is huge for them. And so they just got this million-dollar account, but the, the guy went ahead and sent a message to them saying, if you want this million-dollar account, you have to essentially bribe us. You have to give us like 10 to 20K under the table and don't tell anybody about it. But if you do, we'll reward you with this account. And so my, my mom uh, really wanted to fulfill this. She was like, man, this is a lot of money. Land. If we give 20K, that's fine. Like, we'll make it back in all of the other profits that we have. And, but, but as she thought and prayed about it, she told me, she's like, Erica, but I feel like this is wrong. And I want you to tell me, is this right or wrong? And I said, yeah, mom, I, I think it's absolutely wrong. You shouldn't bribe this man for business. The Bible tells us that bribery is absolutely wrong and you shouldn't do it. And so, of course, she, she ended up not going, through it, uh, not going through with it. She told the guy, we can give you a large discount if you'd like. We can do those types of things, but we're not going to give you a kickback. And so ultimately, they didn't go with her. They left. They, they, they ended up going to a different person, but this is what Jesus means. When you decide to do things for righteousness' sake, when you decide to do the right thing, the things that God has commanded you to do, and you end up getting persecuted or you end up suffering because of that decision, Jesus is saying, you are blessed. You are blessed if you do the things that I've commanded you to do. And so for some people, deciding to be honest in your business, when all your competitors are dishonest and yet you see your sales taking a hit, time after time taking a hit and you see your competitors and they're making lots of money. And you say, you know what, I'm going to do this because I want to be an honest person. I know the Bible commands me to do this. That is being persecuted for righteousness sake. Deciding to be a loving father or mother and being at home more often even at the expense of a promotion or a raise, is doing things out of righteousness' sake. It means loving that jerk that nobody likes, even at the expense of all of your other friends saying, man, we don't want to be associated with you because you hang out with that person. That is what it means to be a persecutor for righteousness' sake. It means suffering because of what Jesus has commanded you to do. 
But it also means suffering because of who Jesus is, right? It also means suffering uh, for who Jesus is. And so it means acknowledging that God is real and alive when the world tells us that he's a fairy tale. He's just a figment of our imagination, and they make fun of you for that. They relate you to people who believe in Santa Claus, and they make fun of you, and they tease you for that. That is what persecution looks like. It means sharing the love of Christ to people who think it is a fairy tale. It means in some countries around the globe, it means losing your life, losing your family, losing your job, all because you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. That is what it means uh, to be persecuted for on the account of Christ and for righteousness sake. It means suffering because of who Jesus is or what he commands us to do. Here's a second thing that it means, okay? It not only means that it's suffering because of who Jesus is or what he commands us to do, but the second thing it means is this. It means persecution is inevitable for the Christian. Let me say that again. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. It means persecution is inevitable for the Christian. Look, if you look at the very first beatitude, right? Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And if you look at the last beatitude, the one we're studying today, it says, blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sake, what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the same line. It's the same blessing that you get for both of these things. And so what is Jesus trying to do here? Jesus is essentially saying this. He's tying your Christian faith to persecution, Because if you remember that first beatitude is essentially how do you get salvation? How do you get entrance into the kingdom of God? And he's saying, look, it's actually by being poor in spirit. It's by saying, I need Christ. I don't have the strength. I don't have the energy uh, to, to do these things to enter into God's kingdom. And that's how you are saved. And he's saying, look, when you're persecuted, uh, he's tying your salvation and your persecution so closely together. In other words, you cannot be a Christian without experiencing persecution. Let me say that again. You cannot be a Christian without experiencing persecution. Now, let me make it abundantly clear. You're not saved because of persecution. You're saved because of your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ and Him alone. But persecution is inevitable for the Christian. If you don't believe me, John chapter 15, verse 20, Jesus says this, Remember the word that I said to you. He's talking to His disciples. He says, A servant's not greater than his master. Or a servant's not going to do anything greater than his master has done. And he says this, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Not they might persecute you, not they may persecute you. There's a strong chance they'll persecute you. He says they will persecute you. And the reason why is because the world says one thing, Christianity says another thing, and at some point they're going to collide. There are going to be intersections of disagreement, and in that disagreement, we will experience persecution. Now, Here's what this doesn't mean, okay? Here's what this doesn't mean, okay? And I need you to pay attention because this is so important. That doesn't mean now you go out and invite persecution. It doesn't mean that you go out and invite persecution. Persecute me, please! Like, you know, you don't do that. In fact, I remember a lot of, I've encountered many Christians like this who will go out and they'll hold these signs that say, burn in hell, believe in Jesus or burn in hell. And they will look at you and say, yeah, I'm inviting persecution because when I'm persecuted, I will be made strong. In fact, uh, when I was in seminary, I remember uh, there was this pastor who stood outside the Fuller Library every single day. And every single day he would ask me, his name was David, he was like, Eric, uh, I I want you to come with me to Pasadena Community College and I want you to preach the gospel with me. And I was like, sure, I'll go with you. And I said, so, but what's your like strategy? What's your tactic? And so he, he then goes on, he pulls out behind him this sign that says, believe or burn. And I was like, uh, I was like, I, that, that's not my strategy, man. Like, I don't know. 
And then he pulls out another sign that says, like, you're going to go to hell if you don't love Jesus. And he pulls out another. He pulls out all of these signs where he's inviting persecution. He wants people to hate him. He wants, and he actually quotes to me 1 Peter chapter 4, which says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And he says, I will be blessed. Hallelujah. You know what's really interesting? Uh, uh, by the way, if you're, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, we're, we're so glad you're here with us. And if you've ever met a Christian like this, I'm so sorry. That is not what the Bible teaches us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul commands the church to do this really crazy thing. Okay? He says, look, I know you guys have the gift of tongues, but I don't want you guys to use it in a public worship service. If we gather like this publicly to worship, do not use the gift of tongues. He says, when you go home at night, you can use it at your home. When you're in your bed by yourself, use it. But he says, if we're all together, don't use it. And this is what he says in verse 23. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are out of your minds? Paul is saying, look, don't speak in tongues because you're inviting a kind of persecution that doesn't need to happen. You don't have to invite persecution into the church if you don't have to. And so he says, look, the gift of tongues has no benefit for the whole community. It does not, because unless you have an interpreter there, no one will be benefiting from it. So just do it at home. Don't make people think you're crazy so that you don't invite persecution. Jesus does not command us here to go out and to be jerks and to slam the Bible over people's heads and say, look at you, you sinner, and to just beat them over the head with it. That is not what Jesus is telling us to do here. He does not want us to go out and invite persecution. Now, here's what he does mean. Again, if you don't experience persecution as a Christian, there is something wrong with your Christianity. Let me say that again. If you don't experience persecution as a Christian, something is wrong with your Christianity. Again, I want to make this abundantly clear. Persecution does not save you. It's just a really, really, really good indicator that you love Jesus. It's just a really, really good indicator that you are a disciple of Christ. And here's, the, here's what it means. Here's three things that I think are going on if you don't experience persecution. The first thing is this. It means that you're not sharing the gospel with other people. It means that you're not sharing your faith with non-Christians. And I think you're not sharing your faith with your non-Christian friends because, to be frank, you're ashamed of the gospel. If you're very, very honest with yourself, you don't like saying the name of Jesus you don't like telling your friends, I worship Jesus. I, I live for Jesus. I center my whole life around Jesus. You don't like saying that because you and I are ashamed of Christ. But do you understand in Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. We can actually grieve the heart of God when we are ashamed of Him. When we sin against God, when we sin against the Holy Spirit, it actually tells us His Holy Spirit grieves. And it's not because Jesus is insecure, but it's because Jesus sees you being hypocritical. He sees you raising your hands on Sunday saying, Jesus, I love you, a man of sorrows, come to die for me. You're singing I love you, you're worthy as a lamb. And then you go to work and you're silent. You, no peep of Jesus from your mouth. And Jesus, that, that mourns, that, that grieves Jesus. You know, um, there's this thing that happens in our culture where people who go to Harvard Right? They don't say they go to Harvard. They say, uh, oh, I went to this like, small you know, school on the East Coast. You know? And part of, partly why they're doing that is because they don't want to brag. Right? They think saying the name of Harvard is kind of like this braggy statement. Right? So they don't want to seem like they're pompous or prideful or arrogant. So they just say, oh, I go to this small school. Right? Well, I say that because when I first met my wife, I, I felt something very similar. Uh, I, you have to remember, I, I did not 
date any girls for like 27 years of my life. And then I met my wife. She was my first girlfriend. And when I met her, I was like, wow, like she's amazing. She's pretty. She's smart. She's elegant. She loves to read. She loves Jesus. I'm like, how did I get so lucky? And so I I thought it would be braggy to introduce her as my girlfriend. I was like, I can't introduce because it just sounds like I'm like boasting. I'm like kind of being arrogant. And so, uh, you know, we met at church and I remember... Some church people came up to us, and, and I just and I went up to them, and I said, oh, hey, how's it going? And I was like, oh, I want to introduce you to this girl named Jessica, who is my friend. I didn't say girlfriend. I said friend. Yeah, so, yeah. I got in big trouble. Uh, we were only a month into dating, but my, 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 my then-girlfriend, now-wife, was just so upset. She was upset. She was sad because she was like, why, why wouldn't you introduce me as your girlfriend? Are you ashamed of me? I was like, no, 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 like, I feel like it's like Harvard where you kind of do, and I was trying to explain, and, 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 but she was like, no, like, I'm not having this. And, and, and you see, like, when, when, when you feel, when, when you see this, uh, when you see somebody being ashamed of you, you, you get this sense of grief. And I'm not saying Jesus experiences it in the same way that we do, but I'm saying in some sense the Bible tells us that this grieves his Holy Spirit. Here's a second reason why I don't think you share the gospel and it's because it, it, for you and for me, we don't think the gospel is really good news. We don't think it's absolutely life-changing, transformational news that people need to hear. Um, you know, imagine this, right? Imagine I go outside, I walk in the woods, and I find this little pond, right? And I find this source of water, and I go and I drink it because I'm really thirsty. And all of a sudden, I notice, like, oh my gosh, like, my knees feel better, like, my cough is gone, my sniffly nose is gone, like, I'm, like, healed, so I'm like, I want to try some experiments. So I tell Pastor Kenny, hey, come with me to the woods. Like, and he's like, why are you taking me to the woods? Because I want you to try this water. He's like, okay, sure, I'll go with you. And so he drinks this water. And all of a sudden, Pastor Kenny, all of his ailments are healed. And then I take more people. And I'm like, hey, like, if you have ailments, come and drink. And everybody who drinks from the water is healed, including people with cancer, including people who are on the brink of death. They're all healed. That's good news. Would I not want to share that with the entire world? Wouldn't I broadcast that on news? Wouldn't I write about it on the Wall Street Journal? Wouldn't I say, wow, I found this pond that heals people of life. And friends, I'm telling you, we have something even greater. We have something that does not save our bodies, but saves our souls. Jesus Christ came as God into human flesh to save you and I, our souls, from eternal separation from him. We have something eternally greater, and I'm telling you, the reason why you don't share it's not because the, good, the news is not so good, but it's because you just don't think it's so good. You and I don't think it's so great. Look, I don't want you to go out from here and to share your faith arrogantly. I don't want you to share it uh, aggressively, but I want you guys to think about beginning sharing your faith humbly. Here's the third thing that I want you guys to, why I think we don't share the love of Christ or why we don't experience persecution. It's because you don't have enough non-Christian friends. You don't have enough non-Christian friends. So maybe some of you are telling me, you know, Pastor Eric, I I love the gospel, man. I love the good news. I'm very public about my faith. I share about Jesus all the time. But like, I I still don't, I'm still not persecuted. Well, it's because you don't have enough non-Christian friends. You might have surrounded yourself in this little Christian bubble with all Christian people. And so when you're, when you're about to share, you're like, I want to share the good news. And you're like, wait, you're a Christian already. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. You're, I have no non-Christian friends. And this is a trap that honestly pastors fall into all the time. We minister at churches, we work at churches, we meet uh, Christians, and that's why for us as pastors, when we meet a non-Christian, we're like, oh great, you're a non-Christian, let me get to know you, let me do all these things, right? Because for us, we surround ourselves with Christians all the time, and we fall into this trap. 
And so for you, maybe the question is not, do I love the gospel or am I not public about my faith? But maybe for you, it's simply, I don't have enough non-Christian friends. Now, I want you to know this, okay? I think for every Christian, it is absolutely necessary that your inner circle, the people who feed your soul, the people you confide in, they should be Christians. I think that. But I think one step out of that circle, one step out of that inner circle, you need to have a ton of non-Christian friends that you are influencing and not influencing you. You get that? Because a lot of us, we're like, oh yeah, I got non-Christian friends, but they're like influencing you uh, more than you are influencing them. And so they invite you out to parties. They invite you out to do certain things. And, 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 and it's not that way. You should be influencing them. So let's move on to our second point. Why is it a blessing? Why is it a blessing? Here's the first thing, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. It is definitive evidence of your salvation. It is definitive evidence of your salvation. The first beatitude, as I mentioned, what Jesus is doing is he's linking the first beatitude with the last beatitude. He's tying them so closely together. And, and what he's saying is this. He's saying that persecution and salvation, again, are, are, are so closely linked that if you experience persecution on my account, you can actually be rest assured that you are saved. Do you know that the Bible tells you you don't have to live in fear? You don't have to live in fear of whether or not you're like, oh my gosh, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I saved? Maybe today I'm saved, but maybe I'm not. The Bible says in 1 John, you can know that you're saved. And one of the ways that you can know you're saved is if you experience persecution. You can know that the love of Christ is flowing through you. You know that you love Jesus when you are willing to be persecuted for his name. You know, my father and I had a contentious relationship, very, very hard growing up with him. And part of the reason why was because my dad was working so hard. He had started this restaurant business, uh, and not a lot of people were coming at first. And so what my dad had to do was he had to take the food to the people. And so he started making these little bento boxes. He would fill them up with food. He'd, he'd wrap them up. He'd put them in these boxes and these coolers, and he'd go office to office trying to sell this food. And I remember my dad would work so hard that he never made it to any of my football games. He never made it to any of my wrestling matches. He never made it to any of my basketball games. He never made it to any of my track and field games. He never made it to any of my math meets, my chess meets, whatever it might be. He never made it to anything. And I was so upset at him. I was like, Dad, you don't love me. You don't love me. A typical high schooler. Dad, you don't love me, right? And we used to fight. And he's like, I do love you. Like, but you're foolish. And like, you know, and... and We'd fight and fight and fight. And I remember one day my dad finally told me, hey, Eric, I want you to come and work for me. I want you to come and just follow me just for a week. And I was like, no, I don't want to waste my summer that way. I want to go to the beach, have fun. And so my dad was like, okay, I'll pay you money. Just come with me. So I was like, okay, I'll go. And so he, he gave me a salary. He gave me a little thing, and I went along with him. And so he took his little bentos, and he started going office to office selling food. And I remember along the way at some point he, he went into an office building and, you know, one of the security guards came up to him and said, hey, you need to get out of here. You're not supposed to be selling food here. Like, don't bring your food in here. And so he was like, okay, I'm sorry. Like, I'll leave. And so he left the building. And he went into another building and the same thing happened. Security guard tapped him on the shoulder, said, hey, you're not supposed to be here selling your food. Why don't you get out? Finally, at the third, uh, at the third stop, we went in and the, he went into the office building again. And this security guard was just belligerent. He was like, nobody likes your food. Your food sucks. Get out of here now. And he cursed at my father. And as a, as a boy growing up, when you see your father being cursed at, when you see your father being kicked out like that, it, it, it impacts you. Because you think the world of your father, you think your dad's awesome, amazing, nothing can hurt him. And, and I saw my dad just being walked out of building after building, cursed at, oftentimes being made fun at. And that's when I realized, man, my dad loves me. My dad cares so deeply about me that he would be persecuted for my sake, on my account. 
Because the thing that my dad would always tell me is he's like, Eric, I'm doing this for you, man. Like, I want you to go to a good college. I want you to have a good education. I want you to grow up with the things that I never had. And so I do this for you. And a part of me, he never said this, but a part of me knows that he wanted me to work with him because he wanted me to see the things that he would endure on my behalf. And friends, I'm telling you, when you are persecuted for Jesus' sake, he sees it. He sees your heart in action and he knows, wow, these people are standing up for me. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. And you can know in your hearts that you are truly Christians, that you truly love Christ if you are persecuted uh, on his account. Here's a second blessing that we receive when we're persecuted. He says, your reward in heaven will be great. Your reward in heaven will be great. Look at verse 12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. And I know for a lot of you guys, you guys are like, oh, who cares? Reward in heaven. I want a reward now. Give me like a treasure now. And I don't want it later after I die. Like I want it right now. And, and, and so what is this reward, right? And to be honest, I don't know. And uh, I read scholars. I read commentators. I read about three or four of them. And each one of them were like, we don't know. And the reason why we don't know is because Jesus never tells us. But here's the thing. We can know that this reward is great. And the reason why is because of this. Think, imagine this, right? Imagine Pastor Kenny comes up here and says, I know I'm using him a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, but imagine Pastor Kenny says, dude, this guy ate a lot of food one day. Right? And you guys would be like, oh, okay, Pastor Kenny's pretty skinny. I don't know if this guy ate a lot of food, right? But if I come up here and I tell you, wow, I saw this guy eat a ton of food, right? You guys would be like, oh, yeah, he probably ate a ton of food because Pastor Eric eats a lot. And so if he, uh, if he thinks a ton of food is a ton of food, then it must be great, right? You got to think about this, right? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, master of the whole universe, created the stars, the heavens, the sun, the moon. Everything is saying that this reward is great. It's got to be great. It's got to be something amazing that we could not even fathom on our own. And so I think that's why Jesus leaves it alone. He says, look, just trust me. I'm God. I created the sun. Like if this reward is going to be great, it's going to be amazing, friends. And you don't have to doubt. You don't have to uh, worry. Just be faithful with it. Now, with that said, I do have a small guess, okay? I have a small guess. It's just my opinion, so don't take it as God's word, but this is just my opinion, okay? Think about what the most precious thing on this earth is in God's eyes. What is the most precious thing on this earth? What's the one thing God came to redeem with his own blood, to buy with his own blood? And it's the souls of people. It's the souls of you and I. It's the souls of every single person on this earth. I think when Jesus says your reward will be heaven and great, what he's saying is this. When you're persecuted, people will come to believe me. Your reward will be is that you will see the people you will actually save in heaven. You will see their souls. You know, there's been this interesting phenomenon. You think that persecution would kill off a church. You think literally by eliminating lives, you think that the church would disappear. But in, in fact, history and time and time again, persecution, where there was persecution, there was actually an increase in growth in the church. In fact, Tertullian, he was an early church father, lived in the first century. He says this, the blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians. The blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians. In other words, he's saying, like, imagine this, right? Imagine a Christian being killed because they believe in Christ. Their blood spills on the floor, and because of their blood, up raises two or three more Christians. That's what he's saying. That when Christians die, up, uh, up comes another three or four Christians. Do you know why the church in China is growing rapidly? And I know some of you guys have been to China, and you've seen the churches in China. And you're like, man, this is crazy. It's growing so fast, and it's because of persecution. 
Do you know why the early church exploded from 12 dudes? And mind you now, they were foolish dudes. They were not smart. They were fishermen. They were guys who didn't have it all together. And the church grew to thousands and thousands into a worldwide religion. Why? Because of persecution. Do you know how Christianity was birthed here in the United States? And uh, the United States at one point became the most mission-sending country in the world was because of religious persecution. Friends, time and time again, throughout history, it's told us that when we are a persecuted church, we are actually a growing church. We are actually an effective church. We actually grow more believers when we are persecuted. So this leads us to our final point. How do we obtain this beatitude? How do we obtain this beatitude? Now, you have to imagine with me for a second. This is a very, you know, kind of sobering idea. But when Jesus is preaching this to the people, and when Matthew is including this in his gospel... You have to think, Matthew lives in a time and a place where Christians were literally being killed off uh, day by day, week by week, year by year. So imagine this, right? Imagine Pastor Kenny's here one week and he's preaching, he's giving you God's word, and then the next week he's not there. And people are like, hey, where's Pastor Kenny? And then you find out, well, he's been killed actually for his faith. It's crazy, right? But that's what they grew up with. That's what they were experiencing, you know, maybe the elder is here one week and the elder is not there. And they're like, where is he? He's in jail. Why? Because he was preaching the gospel. He said he was a Christian. Oh, why, why was Johnny Boy here last week? But he's not here. And it's because he was, he's now taken into prison. He's, he's gone. And so right before their eyes, they're being killed off. And people are getting afraid. They're like, I don't know if I want to do this Christianity thing, man. Like, if, if, if people are disappearing and I don't see them, like, I don't want that to happen to me. And Jesus is encouraging them, don't hide. Don't hide your faith in this context. Don't hide it because I'm telling you, you're going to be ashamed of me, you're going to be ashamed of me, and and you're going to be giving up your very faith. He says, trust me, you are going to be blessed if you're persecuted. You're going to be blessed if you are uh, suffering on my behalf. And in fact, Jesus is trying to encourage us with every ounce of his body to continuously be public about our faith, even in the face of persecution. Think of it as as a blessing. In fact, in the very next passage, Jesus tells his disciples to be what? Salt and light. He says, be salt and light. Don't be afraid. Don't hide your lamp under a basket. You know, if salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for? He says, don't lose that. Don't hide it. Don't, because I'm telling you, you will not be blessed. If you want to be blessed, think about this persecution. And so the first thing for us, if we want to obtain this uh, fire to be really uh, village, vigilant about being public with our faith, it is to think of it as a blessing. To not think of persecution as a curse, not to think of uh, persecution as a, as a suffering that you have to endure, but rather think of it as a blessing. Here's a second thing that I would say in attaining it. For a lot of us in here, when we look at Jesus... I think we would see the greatest leader of all. We would see the greatest pastor of all. And one of the things that I love about Jesus, one of the things I absolutely love about him is that he never asks you to do anything that he himself has not done first. He never asks you to do anything that he himself has not done first. And so when Jesus is asking you, look, blessed are the persecuted, Jesus is saying, I will go before you and do the very thing that I'm asking you. And you have to understand this, that you and I, Jesus Christ should have been ashamed of us. When he stood before the Father in judgment, he should have said, I'm ashamed of these people. They're sinners. They're outcasts. They're hypocritical. They're belligerent. They're angry. They hate. They lust. They do all sorts of things. I I should be absolutely ashamed of them. 
And I know for you, you've been ashamed of yourself. You've been ashamed of your very own actions. I've been ashamed of my own actions. And yet when Jesus Christ could have been ashamed of us and turned away and hid his face from us, he says, no, I'm going to be persecuted on your behalf. I'm going to stand before the Father and say, no, I will receive the persecution that should have been upon them. I'm going to take their judgment. I'm going to take their wrath so that they would be saved. And Jesus goes ahead of us and he, he's persecuted on our behalf, friends. He had every right to be ashamed of us. We have no right to be ashamed of him. And yet he stood before the Father and declared victory over sin, death, and, and, and over it all because he died for our sins upon a cross. And friends, would you not want to take this gospel, this good news, that you are saved because of the work of Christ and spread it to every single person out there? Would you not want to worship a God who doesn't sit on his throne high above heaven and neglects us, but rather comes to earth and gives his life for us? Would you not want to worship a God like that? Would you not want people to be in a relationship with a God like this? Friends, we have a powerful gospel in our midst. We have a powerful news that we can spread to people. And I'm empowering you and I'm encouraging you to think about the persecution that Christ had for us to empower you then to go and share your faith. Friends, I want you to know that when you leave this place, I I want you all to be empowered to share and to be public about your faith. Not to be arrogant, not to be haughty about your faith, not to invite persecution, but just simply to be humble and declare your faith boldly to the people of your workplaces, to the people in your families, to your friends who do not know Christ. And friends, if you are persecuted, well then blessed are you. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for this beatitude, God, for encouraging us to be strong and courageous, not on our own strength, but because of your strength, because of the blessings that you will provide us, because of the suffering that we will receive for your name and for your name's sake. And God, I pray, God, first and foremost, God, for my own confession. God, there have been so many times in my life, God, where I have been ashamed of you. God, yes, I am saying it, I am naming it, God, that I have been ashamed of you, the great, holy Father, creator over all. I've been ashamed of you, God. And I suspect, God, that there are many in here who have been like me, God, who have been ashamed of you, who have been ashamed to say the name of Jesus at their workplace, who have been ashamed to acknowledge that they're Christians in front of their non-Christian friends, who have been ashamed of you. And Father, I pray, God, that you would forgive us I pray that you would cleanse us with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, and renew our hopes once again. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go into each and every heart and reignite that passion, God. Reignite that passion to share this gospel with everyone in their families, in their networks, in their friendships, at their workplaces. God, that we would be a, a church that wouldn't hide its faith, that wouldn't put it under a lamp, but God, that we would shine brightly here in the city of Bothell, in the city of uh, Bellevue, Seattle, and all over this state, God. We pray that we would be a church that shines brightly.